What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Hat Trick Podcast on MyFantasySportsHub.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's your boy DDT, as always. Uh, thank you guys so much for uh, bearing with me over these past, like, two weeks. I have literally just been inundated in so much stuff going on. I got life stuff going on. I got business stuff going on. I got a lot of writing stuff going on. And as you guys have probably been keeping tabs on, you know, what I've been posting onto the site, obviously, you know, I got the, uh, the lesser career mode thing sorted out. I restarted it and posted the first episode yesterday of the, uh, the restart of the entire career mode. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, again, I'm asking for 10 likes, whether through the site, through YouTube, and wherever else I got it published. I mean, I only got it published to Twitch, YouTube, and uh, MyFantasySports.com. So, so far, I, I see the 10 likes are, have shown up. So, uh, I counted them through all through all the uh, venues. So, I'm going to post episode 2 as soon as I'm done uh, recording this episode of the podcast. Because I really need to really need to keep up on this thing. But, we got so much stuff going on, it's so hard to keep track of it. But, I kind of need to take a breather, step back. Now I'm stepping back into the booth. Well, booth being my walk to work, but still. Anyway, uh, thank you guys so much for your support. You guys are loving the uh, the first episode so far. I got good feedback on that. I've been answering all you guys' emails. We've been chatting up a storm. Like I feel like it's been like a lot of conversation has been about um, you know Leicester City and their owner passing away. Uh, uh, I believe it was like a week and a half ago in the helicopter crash. So, you know, we were talking about that, you know, how Lester got to rebound from that loss because he was such an influential part of that club, you know. He had his his hand on that 2015 title that they got, and it just – for 2016, 2015-2016 season. But what I'm saying is it's, it's, it's so hard to watch – that club go through that struggle of losing an owner that meant so much to the to the players and to the fans, you know. And Jamie Vardy, of course, you know, is is probably like the biggest one hurt because he was there for the 2015 title. A lot of the players that were there for the win aren't there anymore. Um, some of them moved on to greener pastures. Some have done up to you know better clubs like Drinkwater's gone to Chelsea, Riyad Mahrez gone to Man City. You know, but all all together, you know, it was a very sad occasion, and the footballing world was very, very, very compassionate. Sent donations, uh, you know, to the stadium, you know, to fund, you know, flowers and you know stuff like that, and heartfelt messages all across the spectrum. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful outpouring of love from almost all the clubs in Europe. So. Uh, that was really a nice thing to see come out from that. And hopefully, you know, Lester will rebound, put on a good work in the league for the owner, stay in, get some competitiveness in them, get some European football under the belt. You know, hopefully they can, you know, once again challenge for, for the league title sometime down the road. But, yeah, that's been going on. We obviously had a couple of match weeks in the Premier League. Uh, we saw Man United. Uh, get a uh, late late winner against Bournemouth this previous weekend from Marcus Rashford. Saw a pretty interesting turn of events, you know, for the higher-up clubs. 
you know, we got matches with you know, Liverpool, Arsenal, that went 1-1. Uh, Face-off against uh, Man City and the Spurs. Man City winning that. Riyad Mahrez scoring like six minutes to, you know, put them down. And then, of course, you know, you got the Champions League. You know, you got you that going on. You saw some pretty big, big, big wins from a couple of clubs. We'll talk about that later on in the episode. But I want to get started. I want to drop into the uh, into the mailbag and uh, pick out a couple of questions for us to talk about here. Um, the, this one doesn't have a name on it, but I actually like this question a lot. And it, it's kind of uh, an interesting topic that's kind of, not, I wouldn't say it's trending, you know, in, 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 in soccer right now, but it's definitely one that's definitely warranting discussion. And the question is, is that in regards to the WWE still holding an event in Saudi Arabia despite the atrocious killing of an American journalist just weeks before the event was supposed to occur, should FIFA consider taking the World Cup out of Qatar and out of Saudi Arabian territories due to the incessant violence that goes on? And, you know, I, I'm thinking about it, you know, and I, and I guess the only really way I can really answer this question is this, you know, football is for everyone, okay? It should not be discluded from anyone. No one should not be allowed to participate. But you have to also remember that outside of the sport, there are people with lives. These particular people in Saudi Arabia, remember, not all, not all of them are bad. Muslims are not bad people, okay? There's a terrible narrative placed upon them that they are because of the violence, the history, the culture, the economics, the politics, the social aspects of the, of the culture. But we have to also remember that they are people. There are good people, there are bad people. Just like we have good people, bad people here in the States, Europe, Asia, Africa, whatever. Qatar has already come under fire from early on when they got the World Cup bid with the slave labor, essentially, quote-unquote. I'm going to call it slave labor because that's what it was. Of men getting work visas to come and help build the stadiums. But the conditions and the work environment... The, uh, the hours, the labor, it was just, it was, it was I mean, it's, 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 it's disgusting. And there was an investigation uh, into it. ESPN's Jeremy Schaap did something, you know, way, 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 way back to look at it. And, of course, a lot of um, red flags are being drawn up, you know, in regards of right now, you know, there's not really a solid effort being done to try and fix the situation or move the cup somewhere else. So right now, 2022 is, you know, essentially three years away, three, three, four years. Um, I, I think that because 
of the willingness to change in people and to give some the benefit of the doubt, I would hope that Qatar would show they are a better venue than what they have become. Uh, obviously, the the tournament will be played in the cooler months. Um, that was one thing that was changed because obviously Qatar is blazing heat and no player will survive playing 90 minutes on a pitch in that kind of heat. Um, so in the cooler months, they'll have you know better conditions. But still, I find myself really struggling with the aspect of having a World Cup in a place that's already shown that the country is not willing to participate in the humane needs of building a venue. So this is something that will definitely come up as we move closer and closer to the event. You know, I think honestly after 2020 with the European Cup, because uh, that's being, that being the next big global event in, in soccer, I think after that event in particular, we're going to start seeing a crackdown on how this venue may come about. I, I, would, I would think FIFA will maintain that it will be held in Qatar, but don't be surprised if the event is moved somewhere more hospitable and, frankly, to a country it has more decency for for people. You know, that's 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 where I kind of stand on that question. This is all very speculative, but we've seen video proof, you know. So for now, it's just a matter of taking things a little at a time as we move towards the event and hopefully FIFA will act on something that is not malicious and if there's no more malicious intent in the event and how it's being funded how it's being built then they move forward with it um next question i want to hit is in regards to um into the bundesliga in particular this is a very interesting question so i'm sure you've seen the video oh by the way this is from uh this is from keith in, in maine he said i'm sure you have seen the video I can't remember who the two teams' fans were, but of a certain group of fans standing violently in front of a, a towering amount of police officers in an attempt to show force or an attempt to show loyalty to the club or whatever. But what ensued afterward was an almost mob-like attack on policemen. Do you think that the Bundesliga fans take it a step too far, and have you seen this yourself on your own time. Um, I have never seen anything quite like uh, what soccer fans put together in terms of a support system. I, I think I know what video he's talking about. I can't remember what club it was. I want to say it was Hamburg or something, but essentially what the video is, is a group of fans have flares, rocks, pieces of metal, and there's a police unit. I, I would say like a riot squad unit or some sort, uh, crowd control, whatever you want to call it, 
standing there with shields, armor, all that stuff. And the fans are essentially attacking them, pelting them, throwing punches, items, just like, it's, it's massive. And the thing is, you know, I, I've watched a few of these videos and the most commonly violent ones I see do in fact come out of Germany. Uh, it, it's, it's crazy. I'm not trying to say German fans are all like violent with their support of their clubs, but they're very, whew, very, very aggressive. So I would say, you know, I mean, anytime you attack a police officer during a football match, it's essentially taking it, you're beyond way too far. You're essentially a criminal. So, um, at that point, you know, I would say not all German football fans are violent, but I wouldn't say this, you know, honestly, if I didn't see it myself. I have seen fans get a little rowdy, but I've never seen that kind of violence. I have definitely seen in, you know, the United States, you know, in particular, if you're a baseball fan and you see the Dodgers and the Giants, you know, they, they have quite the rivalry. And I've seen, you know, news reports and videos of fans attacking each other. And I'll tell you right now, it, it, that kind of violence, if, if that's what Germany's doing on a grander scale, man, I don't know how they even hold matches. But I would say let, let, let the Germans fans do what they do, you know. At the end of the day, it's one of the best leagues to watch. There's a lot of excitement, great football. Wish there'd be a little bit more competitiveness because honestly, you see a lot of Dortmund and Bayern doing most of the damage and the rest of the teams are just kind of, you know, kind of hanging about. So that's all the questions I think I got for that one. Um, there were a few more in here I was thinking about, but I answered them in like emails. Uh, to a few other people, because there are some great questions about the Champions League and stuff like that, and predictions and all that. But anyway, I want to um, talk about, in fact, a couple of Champions League matches. Uh, one in particular being Red Star Belgrade and Liverpool a couple days ago. Um, so Liverpool, you know, with the squad they established, and I said this multiple times in the show, you know, they have a squad that was built to win titles okay it was built to win trophies and in particular Red Star Belgrade uh, or Krena Vezda uh, I think it's how you pronounce it Krena Vezda um, they are a bunch of farmers shopkeepers you know there's there's one story about the guy who scored I think two goals or or, or at least like put in the, I think he put in like most of the effort to put him down, was a part-time employee at his dad's grocery store, and was a like and was an electrician, and that soccer which he was making like, he was bought for the club at like at like a price of like three thousand dollars, I think it's what they paid, to to bring him to the team. These guys are in the Champions League. Mind you, they're in the Champions League. 
And these cats put down Liverpool to nothing. And I tell you, that is absolutely appalling. And again, and you have to turn an eye towards Jurgen Klopp, the Liverpool manager. How do you lose to a team of part-timers? Where, you know, soccer is, is obviously a, a lot of what they do. And it's a huge part of their part of their lives. But still, these guys have lives outside of this team. You know? Electricians, shopkeepers. You know, these guys have normal jobs outside of soccer. And the fact that you couldn't put this team down is incredible. You have players at Liverpool... Their whole lives are soccer. They make so much money in this team, they have nothing to do but play soccer. And I, 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 that's a head-scratcher for me of how a team like that could lose in the Champions League. But I think nothing was more surprising than the other Champions League game that was played yesterday between Juventus and Man United. Um, highly contested game. Uh, United lost the first matchup against them. They came to Turin to play the second. And it was nil-nil at halftime. But I tell you, and I watched I watched the game. Juventus should have put United down. Because so many chances went at David De Gea that he could not save. Yet, he was so lucky. Some shots hit the post. And knocked off some shots are just straight, straight just missed. The, the, the finishing by Juventus was, to be honest with you, was awful. Absolutely abysmal. United should have been put down in this game. But I'm going to tell you what happened if you don't know what happened. So, in the 65th minute, Cristiano Ronaldo scores. Great, great goal, too. This is one that David De Gea could not save. This was just Ronaldo being what he, what he is. He put one through. Juventus go up one nothing. 85th minute. Free kick setup. One match of scores. Off a free kick. Beautiful ball. Goes up. Comes straight down. And right there, you felt something happen because... During the second half, as much as Juventus had their chances as well, United came right back at them and had chances also hitting the woodwork, going just slightly wide, where honestly, this could have been a high-scoring game. But in the end, this is how it ends up. Off a free kick in the 90th minute from Ashley Young, ball travels right into the box, directly into the path of the keeper. Uh, Marwan Fellaini tries to get ahead on it, misses. It bounces. Two Juventus players get, I, I don't know what happened. I think they get, I honestly, they just misplaced themselves, got in front of the keeper, could not let him make a play on the ball, and the ball hits off of Chesney and off of two Juventus players and goes into the net. And United go up 2-1 in the 90th minute. 
winning the game. It is the first time in 15 years Juventus have lost at home in the Champions League. I believe that's how the stat was read. But either way, it has been a very, very long time since Juventus lose, period. But it's particularly in this competition. And Jose Mourinho, at the end of the game, is walking out with a with a smug, grin teeth smile, holding a hand to his ear, asking people, what was it you were saying about us? And just the swagger and the absolute goal and just the absolute vigor this guy has, it showed up. And I'm literally, and, I, and this is me as a Man United fan, also as an analyst saying this. That little moment right there, that swaggered that he showed there, that's the Jose Mourinho that United need. That kind of tactician. Now, granted, I don't think a lot of what was done on the pitch should be all credited to Mourinho, but I do believe that his selections and the people he put on the pitch as substitutes and how he played this game, really, honestly, Mourinho does know what he's doing. I do still believe, questionably, that he is not the best manager for United, but I do not believe that he should be fired. I think he's proven he can overcome the um, the, the storm. He showed he can win. His players can't play for him. I think in the January, he does need to fund a lot of moves to the club because here's the thing. Man City are miles ahead of United, and that's a lot saying. United finished second on a great, on a great point tally with a great team, but there's simply not enough. So I think that if he gets more players into the club, United can make a good run in the Champions League if they get to the knockout stage. I don't think they're going to make it, but we'll see what happens. I've been, I've been wrong before. And if they can put a good run in the Premier League, they can make a run in the top four spot. It's definitely doable, but they need to do better on getting the... They need to do better on getting the ball in the right people's hands, because Lukaku as a player has not been good. And he didn't even play in this game. Martial, Alexis Sanchez, and Jesse Lingard started up forward. And I think Marcus Rashford should have started, in my opinion, over Alexis Sanchez. But, you know, it is what it is. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, if you give Mourinho the money he needs, he wins. Simple as that. You give him the money he needs, give him the players that he can get, and he'll win. It's simple as that. I, I really think this is a situation where, unfortunately, you don't have the right mix of players in the team right now that can garner a victory. And you need to put together the players that you can buy or you can train or you can move around to get them winning. Because a team like Manchester City with Pep Guardiola, he, he relies on everyone. Everyone has a role. Everyone plays. He has so many opportunities to interchange and mix around what he has. You know, up front, 
he has Leroy Sané, Aguero, or Sterling. He can, instead of Aguero, go with Gabriel Jesus. Or instead of Raheem Sterling, he can go Riyad Mahrez. Instead of Sané, he can put on maybe, you know, David Silva. Or anyone who wants. He can, he can interchange his front three all the time. His midfield, he can change around all the time. His back four, he can change all the time. He has great pieces in his team that he can move around and play. And United don't have that. You know, when you're working with a back four, you know, Victor Lindelof is definitely coming into his own. He's starting to make better, better, better choices. I think he's becoming now that first team center back with high potential that we were hoping he would be, you know, worldwide because the guy was so renowned when he played for Benfica. I think Victor Lindelof is now getting that push. And, you know, you can think about Eric Bailly has not really been the player they wanted him to be. He's okay, but he's not great. Um, Chris Smalling, Phil Jones, Marcus Rojo, just not good options at center back. You know, maybe Nemanja Matic could drop back, try to play a center back role, but I don't see him doing that. But like I said, teams like Man City, teams like Liverpool, teams like Chelsea, they stock themselves up with the players that they need to do better. And if you give Mourinho the chance to sell on who he knows he can't work with and bring in more players to have more variety in some positions, I think that it works. You know, this is the biggest thing. United need to admit to themselves, this is the front office I'm really talking about. They need to go ahead and put together some money to bring in better defensive help. Luke Shaw is a great left back. I think he's coming to his own. I think he's doing just fine. I think he's figured out what he needs to do there at the left back position. I think that's the left back of the future. Build him up. Let him get better. In terms of center halves, you need to buy new ones. Victor Lindelof is a good start. You can keep playing him there if you'd like, but you need to bring in better help. There's plenty of center backs out there you can throw money at. There's plenty. And the position won't be that difficult for them to adjust to. You know? They know what they need to do. Keep the ball away from the goalkeeper. This is a this is a this is a buy where you need to go high. You know, that vintage Ferdinand partnership, you need that back. You're not getting that. You need to bring that back. There needs to be an influx of cash to bring on better help at center back. I can think of good names to bring in, but I won't go into that now. But teams like that, teams like Bayern need to get better. Teams like Real Madrid need to get better. With the players that they have, they're not getting it done. With the managers they have, sometimes they're not getting it done. But you need to keep trying because Mourinho's not a bad manager. Julia Lopetegui's not a good manager. I wouldn't say Lopetegui has great character. And certainly he's about to be fired from Real Madrid. But he's not a bad manager. You know, there is opportunities. There are opportunities, I should say, 
for teams to get better with money instead of with youth. United have the youth, but they don't have the money being put forth to buy better players. The center halves are garbage. The center backs are garbage. They need to change. Victor Lindelof is a fine option, but it needs to change. You can put better options out there. And their unwillingness to do it is kind of weird. But anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it at that, guys. That's my rant. My Man United rant. I keep talking about them almost every week, but they're such a high-profile team that's not doing well. It's hard not to talk about. So, yeah, that's all I want to talk about for today, guys. A little chat up. Obviously, keep uh, listening to the podcast. Keep watching the uh, FIFA career mode streams. Read my top five articles. They're both on myfantasysports.com. And I'll see you guys later, all right? Peace.